재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Bringing you stimulating discussions on current affairs Discover the best of news and current affairs Primetime on TBS EFM 국민 Uh, Guterres has called on the entire organization to recognize the shortcomings and underline the need for continuing reform at the United Nations. So to help us understand what we can expect with this new leadership and maybe learn a little bit more about the outgoing leadership, Pangi Moon, and uh, what he accomplished, very pleased to have joining us from the University of Glasgow, the chair of international law, Professor Christian Tams. Hello. Hello, Henry. It's very good to speak to you. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Professor. Uh, We know that there have been ongoing efforts to reform the institution of the United Nations, and uh, there's been reporting on some of the problems that are inherent with it. Uh, Why has it been such a difficult task? Well, internal processes in the UN just take time. That's true for reform against corruption as well as for all other aspects of UN reform. Um, In the field of corruption and accountability, as with many bureaucracies who feel that they're working towards a greater good, like the United Nations, there may be some resistance to admitting fault. Um, I don't think corruption is an endemic problem in the United Nations. The problem is that, as in so many other fields, the problems created by a few are likely to tarnish the work of the many, many, many dedicated UN civil servants. And I think over the past few years, there's been a recurrence of a few incidents in which the UN has responded too late and has not been forthcoming in admitting problems. Bribery is one aspect which you mentioned. There's been a former UN General Assembly president who who was accused of having taken bribes. There's been problems of accountability for peacekeepers who are, as blue helmets, engaged in conflicts around the world. And the UN has responded too late to that uh, and has not been forthcoming and open and admitting problems. As you uh, very well know, uh, for our listeners of great interest is, of course, discussing the legacy of uh, the outgoing Secretary General, the former Secretary General now, uh, Pang Ki-moon. In terms of the debate over uh, his performance over these past 10 years, how would you overall assess uh, the Pangimun period of the United Nations, uh, both from the stance of uh, reform as well as just overall job performance? Well, I mean, that's a huge question, of course, and it would take sort of uh, hours to answer that okay. in, a, in a proper way. I, mean, I do think, I mean, in terms of reform, Ban Ki-moon has continued the work of others in reforming the United Nations. He has had to do this at a difficult period of world history in which, especially over the past few years, antagonism has increased and the climate hasn't been conducive to a a flourishing, prosperous, uh, helpful United Nations work, especially on military conflicts. I do think 
he has been. So his legacy, as if you as with many other leaders, I do think he has left important traces in world history and has a lot to be proud of. Um, I would note three things which do not really go to sort of military conflicts or international conflicts of the sorts that you've mentioned, mm-hmm. but which often are sort of not particularly in the limelight, but crucial. Climate change, climate change agenda is one which has seen sort of a massive, uh, has been of massive importance during Ban Ki-moon's tenure with the Paris Agreement of 2015. Ban Ki-moon is widely praised for having pushed the agenda on, uh, on gender equality within the United Nations and beyond it. And then finally, and maybe most comprehensively, he has put development at the heart of the United Nations work with the Sustainable Development Goals, which formulate a blueprint for eradicating poverty and hunger in the world in the next decades. And on these fields, which often are not really widely reported, the UN has made significant efforts and improved uh, its performance during the tenure of Ban Ki-moon. So these are important aspects of his legacy, which he can be proud of. Right. And the debate here in Korea addresses a lot of those points that you made in terms of assessing his legacy in the United Nations. I just want to maybe list some of the criticisms that have been voiced here in terms of uh, how he's approached his job over the past 10 years, and maybe uh, you can give your assessment of those uh, criticisms. Uh, One, and I think this is a widely held one and really does, uh, it's subjective depending on how you view about it, but he's been uh, kind of termed this uh, U.S. lapdog sort of carrying the water for American interests. Uh, He did not have the uh, the charismatic style and leadership qualities of let's say his predecessor Kofi Annan and um, quite frankly he as a South Korean national he could have done more but he did not do enough to address the issues of North Korea and its uh, nuclear weapons development or anything in terms of bringing North Korea uh, back into the fold um, I know you don't necessarily want to touch on all of them but uh, when you hear those criticisms do you think overall they're valid or they are maybe a little bit biased Oh, no, I, well, look, I mean, uh, the Secretary General's job is, as been, has been said repeatedly, the most impossible one on the earth. Mm. So, I mean, it would, be, it would be highly unlikely for anybody in the job to sort of be, to leave everybody happy at the end of his or her tenure. And certainly, Ban Ki-moon has not left everybody happy. If I pick one of the points that you were mentioning, charisma, um, yes, I mean, I would say that Kofi Annan was widely considered to be very charismatic was able to reach out and formulate the mission of the UN in, with eloquence uh, and, and uh, in a way that reached out to many people. His successor, Ban Ki-moon, has maybe not been of the same mm. uh, standing in that respect. And this is crucial to the job, of course, because it is about mobilizing international effort, mobilizing international civil society. So this is, has been a problem, and, and, uh, and absolutely, you're absolutely right to mention it. Now, I think uh, on the other issues, being the U.S.'s lapdog or being, I mean, North Korea, I think, um, well, Kofi Annan was widely criticized or was, was hampered at the end uh, because he was perceived to be out of touch with some of the key players in the right. U.N. Ban Ki-moon had understandably tried to avoid that problem. Um, so I, I don't think that criticism is absolutely valid. I mean, ob- obviously, if you have instances where the U.S. are seen as pushing too hard. But I think the key for every secretary general, including the new one, uh, Guterres, who's taking up his job these days, is to strike a working relationship with the U.S., which on the one hand is the biggest donor and the key player in the U.N., 
and on the other hand, one of its biggest critics. So that is crucial to the success of any secretary general. Right. Now, and I, and I don't want you to necessarily, and it's probably awkward to do so, comment on the uh, uh, the presidential election uh, situation here in South Korea. As you know, politics are really going through an upheaval. Uh, Pang Gi-moon is considered to be uh, one of the strongest contenders, uh, largely, I suppose, the hope for the conservative side who's seen uh, their popularity plummet in the wake of the uh, current president's scandal. Uh, just leaving all the political questions aside, the idea of an outgoing uh, United Nations Secretary General immediately going back to his uh, home country and vying for a higher political office. I, I understand some people feel it, there is uh, an aspect of it that is not appropriate. Other people feel that it is it is something that is up to that individual uh, and what he decides to do. Where do you stand on that? Well, I think this is... Uh primarily a question for every national political culture to deal with this. Some cultures are open to this, some find it problematic and want a waiting period. I come from a country, uh, you were introducing me as somebody who's based in the United Kingdom, but I grew up in Germany. Mm. Germany's uh, federal president, which is not the same office as the one in South Korea, uh, in the early 2000s came directly out of a job at the head of the IMF. So that's not the UN, but still a very high-profile international organization. Uh, his assumption of the federal presidency in Germany was not perceived as a problem. I think in Germany, this would not be a problem. People would not call for waiting periods. Other countries have very different traditions. And I think with this, as with the UN generally, you have to sort of respect diversity. And I wouldn't, as, as you were hinting at at the beginning, I wouldn't want to comment on how South Korea should chart its course in, in that debate. Okay. Now let's just talk uh, a little bit about his successor, the uh, new Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, uh, a, a European, uh, someone who will be coming in uh, in a very difficult global situation, to say the least. Uh, what do you think are his main challenges going forward? And how do you, uh, impossible to predict, I know, but how do you think he will approach them? Well, I think the, he, he's been fairly candid in outlining his priorities and the, and the sort of the monumental challenges indeed, that he faces in the job. He emphasized in his early statements two aspects. Um, one is reforming the UN peace architecture uh, with the crisis in Syria, with the crisis in South Sudan, with internal accountability problems created by abuses of UN peacekeepers. That must be a priority. On that, the UN unfortunately, can always do less than people expect it to do because it has to work with member states. The UN is only as strong on peace and security as the member states let it be. And so on this, we will need powers of persuasion uh, to bring the international community of states around on conflicts like Syria. But that must be a priority. It's just too big an issue to ignore. And then the other point returns to an issue I was raising sort of a minute ago with respect to Ban Ki-moon. Development, And I think Guterres has been very clear that he will continue to put development at the heart of the UN's agenda. The UN has this project, the Sustainable Development Goals, which are a key to eradicating poverty, hunger, uh, and to enhancing education for the poorest and the most privileged of the world. And I think this is a cross-cutting challenge which the UN has, over the last decade or 15 years since the millennium, really focused on. Guterres will do well to continue that. And if he is, is able to communicate his priorities to a wider audience, then I think I'm, I'm sort of modestly optimistic uh, uh, about his role in the job. Uh, the U.S. Uh, 
has at times had somewhat of a more uh, adversarial uh, stance with the United Nations, depending on which political parties in power. Uh, the incoming uh, presidency of Donald Trump, how do you think that affects the United Nations? Well, on the face of it, it will make things more difficult because you have a president coming in or assuming office who is not generally on board with sort of expressing general support for the UN. He has been through the through his media of choice, he has been very critical of the UN, decrying it as a club. Um, I hope that uh, the Secretary General and the new U.S. President will strike up a working relationship. I think the, the signs of their first meeting were sort of comforting. Uh, I hope the U.S. is not in uh, for a, a very antagonistic approach. I think um, on some aspects, the criticism voiced in the U.S. and in the new U.S. Ad, uh, uh, administration can be used as leverage towards UN reform. And that returns to points you were making in your first question, sort of about corruption, uh, bribery issues. The U.S. has been vocal as a critic of the U.N. in this field. In this respect, U.S. pressure can lead the U.N. to do more. And as I was saying at the start, I think it needs to do more to tackle accountability issues and, and corruption problems within the organization. So in terms of internal reform, the criticism coming from the U.S. could be seen as even... Uh, well, a blessing in disguise, because it will help the UN to reform itself more robustly than it would otherwise do. On other matters, it will require a lot of patience and persuasion, and I hope the two institutions, I mean, it's almost, it's almost symbolic that they're now, the, the Trump headquarters and the UN headquarters are now as close together mm -hmm. as geographically as never before. Maybe that is an omen that over time they will learn to speak to each other and they will learn to cooperate. All right. Very interesting points indeed. We're going to have to leave it there. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. It's been a privilege. Many thanks. Bye-bye.